0: Hello and welcome, this is Working Class to World Class. But before we go any further, I do have a little favor of you. If you could hit that follow or subscribe button, then that would be a massive help, thank you. In this episode, we turn our attention to the world of sport, where I catch up with a well-known personality who managed to turn his football passion into a successful career. We explore, okay, how can you go from that ordinary working class background to go on to create one of the largest fan club channels in the world, which gives so much back to its core fan base. Well, it's an inspiring story. It's told from the heart and it is told by a really fantastic person. Breaking through the barriers of adversity. I'm Lynn Lester, and this is Working Class to World Class. So Robbie, it's an absolute pleasure. I'm so happy that, that you're with me today, joining me all the way from Scotland. Where, where are you?
1: I'm down in London at the moment, um, at my studios, which is uh, based probably about probably about 10 minutes walk away from Arsenal's football ground. Um, so, that. Yeah, we've got uh, our studios here. So yeah, I'm in London at the moment. It's a bit miserable here today, a bit drizzly.
0: Oh, really is scotland's the same oh, it was very sunny yesterday so people were like oh my god it's sunny it was like you know a miracle but never mind mm. <laughs> we're not here to talk about the weather well not quite yet <laughs> oh, but obviously a lot of people is going to know you i mean it goes without saying but for people that are tuning in they're like who is this cool robbie guy Did you want to just give everybody an update on who you are and what you do
1: um well my name is robbie lyle um i run um a football channel on YouTube and many other social media platforms called AFTV, which used to be known as Arsenal Fan TV, this um AFTV. Um also got a channel called DR Sports, which is a general football channel, and some other channels as well. We're just about to start a F1 channel. Um but I, I I'd say basically my business is um football content but f- by using social media rather than the sort of traditional media outlets. So um and I'm known for you know speaking to fans, um particularly Arsenal fans, which is um AFTB's um an Arsenal channel, and um sort of built my reputation from interviewing fans um after games to get their opinion on their football club.
0: But that's pretty cool. I mean it's funny because you know, people who are football fans, I mean, really to, to get to emerge yourself in, in such a way and, you know, to I just think it's just so cool how you've done it. And we're going to find out in a minute how you did do it, because mm. I don't know when you were a kid, if you ever thought in a million years you'd be doing what you're doing now, did you?
1: No, no, I didn't. Um, I mean, I, I couldn't have done it when I was a kid because the, the technology just didn't exist. And um, all our football sort of came from the traditional sources of, you know, with a BBC, ITV, then later on Sky. um. But what the technology of social media has allowed me to do is, and many other individuals now, is to be able to start our own sort of media companies to do with sport. So, um, yeah, I think when I was a kid, I would have loved to have been on TV talking about football, but I I just couldn't see a way to
0: do that no technology is amazing now maybe even you look no. at ai and you think oh my goodness what is next for us because <laughs> yeah every, every decade i think it can't get any more advanced and then something else happens i remember going back to the years of my mom and dad or especially my mom couldn't work the video recorder and they'd be like <laughs> you have to press the two buttons for it to record and i'd be like oh my god they're so old and now i'm like what what's that so yeah no, i feel safe.
1: Every day, you know what I mean? Every day, especially, you know, in this business, every day there's something new. Like you said, AI, that's, uh, you know, something that's really coming up strong. Uh, the metaverse, you know, every day there's new technology.
0: Yeah, it's random. Well, it's just going to get, it's going to accelerate even more. But for now, we're going to accelerate back the way because obviously the whole ethos of what we're here to talk about today is working class to world class. About how how can you come from, I guess, a really humble start in life to fulfilling your dreams like you have and, and you're, you're known worldwide. So if we go back to, I don't know if you were ever called wee Robbie or little Robbie or just Robbie, <laughs> but you know, when you were a kid, like where were you brought up?
1: Yeah, I was, I, I was born in London. Um, grew up for most of my, um, my childhood in Luton, which is um, a town just about 30 miles outside of London. That's where I went to school. My, my parents, um, both Jamaican, uh, came, came to this. <coughs> excuse me, came to the um, to the UK in the '60s, and were in, living in London. And then eventually, my dad was uh, able to get money together to buy a house, and he bought a house in in Luton. And um, yeah, that's where I grew up. My childhood was. Went to school there too. In you know, when I got to sort of my teens, I moved back to London. Um, but um, yeah, I, so I went to school there, and uh, yeah, it was it was a it was a working class uh, background. You know, my, I I really admire my parents because when they came to this country, basically, you know, and they they called them the Windrush generation. Um, although my dad always used to remind me that he didn't come here on a boat; he took me by the plane. Right? so he always used to make sure he stated that but um you know basically I admire them because they came here really with nothing you know they come from a very very poor background in Jamaica they came to England to uh, work in the services sort of industry and you know they they brought up four kids me me and my three brothers they as I said my dad managed to through his hard work buy his own house he worked as a as a plasterer um, all his life. And yeah, I, d- I just look at them and think, and I think it's where I get a lot of my sort of entrepreneurial spirit from, even though they weren't entrepreneurs, but I just look at it and say they were brave because to take that step to leave from Jamaica, to come to England, which would have been a totally different climate. At that time, there was a lot of racism that existed. They don't know really what they're coming into. That took a lot of um, that took a lot of bravery to do to to, to make that step, and um, they did that, and then they brought us up. So I'm I'm really proud of. Um, they they both passed away now, but I'm very proud of um, how they brought us up.
0: That's amazing. I mean, I'm I'm sure it goes without saying they're obviously very proud, and I'm sure they would be beaming right now to see what you've achieved in life. And so you were saying that you're you were brought up with your siblings. So so it was all boys. Oh my god, my niece has got four yep. boys, and sometimes I'm like I don't know how she does it. It was that chaos in the house. Four of you. Yeah, it,
1: was. <laughs> <laughs> it was. It was. It was. It uh, was pure chaos in the house. Four boys, but we all you know what we all got on. We just all had our normal, you know, and we all still get on. We all but we just all had our normal sibling rivalries and that and we were all like mad into sports so i think that's where i get a lot of it because we were all like we all did so many sports we played football cricket rugby everything you know i mean and we were always discussing sports we were always talking about football You know i mean and then my dad as well was really really into sports as well and really really into his football cricket he always watching it so we you know I think where I get, sort of get that side of things regarding knowledge of football and knowledge of sports is from that environment of growing up around it. Every day talking about it, every day arguing about this and that to do with football. I remember my mum always used to be saying, can't you talk about something else? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> but um, yeah, that's where it all comes from.
0: It's, it makes sense because, you know, I, from my family, we've got quite a lot of boys, a lot, a lot of nephews and mm. you know, brothers. I'm the youngest of seven and three of them are were brothers. And so, but the, yeah, football is literally the chat, especially amongst my nephews. Mm. That's all the blooming talk about. And I'm just, I mean, I think I've just about understood the offside rule, but that is pretty much it. My, my knowledge is slightly limited, but yeah, I, I get it. my son used to play football, mm. I'd go and watch him. And I'd be shouting at the sidelines as if I really knew what I was talking about, but I was so into it. <laughs> So I think I did understand most of it. And so, were you were you the youngest or oldest, or where did you sit in the with your brothers? The
1: I was second. I so i I've got older brother and then two younger brothers, so I was second, sort of second in line. So, um, yeah. Um, but,
0: that's cool. And did you did you all support the same team at the time?
1: We did. We all Arsenal supporters.
0: Oh, okay. Um, so
1: that 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 was that was good that we all supported the same team. Um, but then it also meant that we were always arguing about that as well. Who should stop? <laughs> Why is he playing? Why is he not playing? He's my favourite player. He's not, you know? So... That
0: is <laughs> so cool. And so, see, you know, you you mentioned a minute ago, um, and it would be amiss of me not to to bring it up, you know, in terms of racism. Obviously, when your parents came to, to the country, what was it like for you growing up? Was it still similar or was it much more improved by then?
1: Oh, yeah, I think racism... You know, would have improved from when they first arrived, but you know, growing up, you know, I'm talking about like uh, the late '80s, the '90s. You know, um, yeah, racism was uh, was rife. You know, when I first started going to football, for instance, you know, it was common, absolutely common. You know, I mean, to for people to racially abuse you on at grounds, on the terraces, all the time and get away with it it wasn't like now where you know somebody could get a ban you know you get, they get away with it you know um and you go to um a lot of times to the police and they weren't much better you know what i mean there was a, there was a big problem in particularly in london with the, with the police as well so grew up, grew up around a lot of racism i think it was very common in those times and um very much more in your face than it is now, and we had to really, really battle that, you know, so, um, yeah, I've seen and been through a lot of, you know, I, I remember like even just being in London and just getting stopped a lot on the tube, getting stopped on the road and that, you know, for no reason, so grew up around it, definitely grew up around it and, you know, it has improved a lot, but we still got, uh, we still got ways to go, you know?
0: Yeah, did you know it's still, so- but I just find it really difficult, even to this day, because when we grew up, you know, again working class, we were always told and always brought up obvious stuff. You know, people are people, and it doesn't matter about the colour of your skin. It doesn't matter where you're from. And we were always taught mm. t- to live our life of grace and be nice. You know, you treat people the way you would expect it to be treated yourself. And so, so for me, when I hear all these stories, not that I live in a sheltered part of the world, I just think, oh my god, like it's just. It's almost unbelievable, but you know, I'm not. I'm not naive to yeah. it. I totally get it, but it's it is pretty disgusting, really. And I suppose in that era, you had at least you had the safety of your your brothers. So I guess you know, there's a lot of people that mm. have to deal with that stuff themselves. So at least mm. that's you know something to be thankful for, I guess. At that era, at that time.
1: Yeah, definitely. You know, I mean, and then you know what as well, like um, a lot of my a lot of my friends that I, I grew up with and um, some of my white friends, they were um. Like in Luton, they were Irish. There was a big Irish community there, and they used to get a lot of stick as well, and they used to get a lot of um sort of a uh, racism back in the day. Irish people as well. So I don't know. So we seem to connect very well together, you know. <laughs> um and and uh, so yeah, it was it it was it was good on that level, you know. Yeah. But I think at football, it was terrible in those days. It was really really bad. Um. And it seemed to be one of those, football seemed to be one of those uh, sort of focal point areas where the racist groups targeted, they knew that they could go to football and they could target young, you know, males, white males there and try and get them involved in their national front movements and BNP movements and stuff like that through, you know, the hooliganism stuff and all that. So, it was a big, big problem at football. I even did a, I did a documentary that was on ITV where it's on that subject of what it used to be like and how things have improved, but how we've still got a long way to go. Um, but when you sort of look at that documentary and some of the people that I was interviewing, you know, I mean, there was a Chelsea fan in particular that I interviewed. I mean, Chelsea's been really bad back in the day. And, um, you know, he was still tearful about it now because... They are things, you know, sometimes people look on it and think, oh, yeah, it's just a, they called you a name or they just get on with it. But it does have scars, you know what I mean? It does have scars on people, you know what I mean? And when this guy started remembering back some of the issues and problems back in the day, you know, he, he was tearful about it, you know, so um, it was a massive problem.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. In Scotland, I think for us, it was the old firm, right? So every time that was on, was, you were never allowed to go to Glasgow, just in case mm. it kicked off. But, you know, now, as you say, there's bands, there's lots of different things. Mm. And so, so I guess, you know, when, when you're growing up, obviously, you've got that to contend with, the kind of racist side of things. But then, obviously, you're a working class kid yourself. So, you know, did you kind of ever go on holidays or what was your kind of life like as a child?
1: Yeah, you know i didn't really i never used to go on. i say this to my kids all the time i go listen I, we never went on holiday right um growing up my parents never really had money to go on holiday so we had um we, we just used to like when the summer used to come along i remember this is this massive park near where we lived and we just used to go over there and play football play cricket you know and spend all day there. And that was our summer. And, and we absolutely loved it. We didn't, we, we'd see like some of our friends sometimes saying, oh, we're going on holiday. And we'd be like, oh, yeah, but it it, it didn't really register with me until later on, because we never really went on holiday. We, we just spent the summer at home and just like going over the park and just having lots of fun on a day to day basis. Yeah. That's why I say to my kids now I go, when you lot going on holiday and stuff like that, you're a lot of lucky. We we never had that. You know, no, never my parents. My parents just didn't have the money to take, you know, four boys away from on, on holiday. We just just didn't do it.
0: No, it was it's almost impossible, isn't it? I remember we used to get gout, crack at dawn, but we would never come back until it got dark. That's <laughs> exactly
1: were just all day. We'd be out all day, all day, you know, playing football, playing cricket, playing whatever you know um, and just you know just come back at night you know when it got dark
0: well we would come back for a come back at jam. lunchtime to get something
1: to eat, <laughs> eat and then go again you know so
0: exactly well that's what i'm saying we we used to come back for a we called it a piece and jam so a jam mm. sandwich but for us it was called a piece and jam so we were allowed a piece and jam and some diluting juice which mm. i think you guys call squash <laughs> that was about yeah. it then get out again get out so it sounds to me as if it was like lots of fun, right? You know, you've got your brothers, you mm. you're having you know, as you say, you know you only know what you know, right? Yeah. So for you that's just that was pretty standard, pretty normal. Mm. And so at school then, like what were you like as a kid?
1: At school, you know, I mean, I, I think, you know, I always get told of for um being very chatty. But um I did I did pretty well at school, you know. I mean, I did okay. My my parents really pushed us at school. You know, we we couldn't come home with, well, we could come home with a bad report, but there were consequences, you know. <laughs> you know, they, they didn't, you know, my, my dad used to say there's no compromise on school. And that's what he used to, that's what he used to be like. And he was pretty draconian with it, pretty harsh on it. But actually it worked because, you know, we did, all of us sort of come out, all me and my other brothers, we all come out of school with uh, decent qualifications, you know what I mean? So um, so at school, I, I was, yeah, school was good. It was just that, you know, we had to make it. And I remember my mum used to be a cleaner at the school, right? When I was when I went to um, secondary school, she was a cleaner at the school. So she'd always be getting, she was almost like a member of the MI5 or something. And that she'd always be getting intel off of all of the uh, teachers and that. She got to know them all. So if I got into trouble or my other brother got into trouble or anything like that or detention or anything, she'd know before we even told her. And then she'd tell my dad, and then oh my God, you know. What I mean? so- <laughs> <laughs>
0: that was it. That, that was you. Yeah, and-
1: my, my dad, yeah, my dad was a real disciplined guy. So like if 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 he knew that you was messing around at school, then you know, you wouldn't be going nowhere. He'd be like, he'd be like, yeah, Robbie, you know, all them football things and that you've been doing, just tell him you won't be coming there for the next month. He'd be like, what? And he said, no. Nope. He goes, I heard about the detention you got and that goes, goes, so he goes, I told you a lot, if you're gonna go to a school and mess around and you're not playing football, you're not playing this, you're not doing and he and he and he always stuck to it as well. He's not like me with my kids now, I try to do that, but then I break, you know what I mean? Sometimes <laughs> I break and I was like, ah, all right. But my dad, he didn't break. He was very he had old school sort of discipline that he bought from Jamaica and he didn't break and he'd be like, Nope. And you knew there's no even point, not even a point of asking for a reprieve or anything. So so that kind of forced us to you know, to work hard at school. Why you know? be? You know, my dad, you come home from school, you gotta do your homework before you do anything else. You couldn't even turn the T V on. The homework better be done first. He was like that, you know. So um, with my mum as well, also like that as well. So that sort of discipline did help to keep me focused and, you know, even though sometimes I'd stray off, but, you know, keep me focused and make sure I did well at school.
0: It brought you back in the straight and narrow. I think the thing is as well the fact that they had come over from Jamaica, as you said, they came over. It was a different climate, different culture, different yeah. everything, really. So they obviously had done that so that when they had kids, it was to give them the future that they mm. really wanted for them. So you kind of yeah. totally, you totally understand it. And obviously, there's a respect element. You know, I don't know how, how old are your parents when you were born? Were they young or old?
1: They would have been like in their. Yeah, they would have been like probably late 30s, 40s. Mm. So, you know, they were very, yeah. And they, you know, their traditional Jamaican discipline, they brought with them. Yeah. You know what I mean? so, <laughs> so, yeah.
0: Good. No wonder you and your brothers got on. <laughs> it doesn't sound as if you would have got away with it if you hadn't.
1: No, nah, you so. couldn't get away with it. Not my dad, man. He knew everything, man. <laughs> and as I said, my mum, she had all the intel at school. I mean, she knew everything already before we yeah.
0: are. It's so funny. Where we live in Clyde Bank, I always remember going out. Know, my mum would say, Now be on your best behavior because I'll find out before you even get back here if you've done anything. Yeah, that's, wrong. that used
1: to be the case with me as well.
0: Yeah. I and I believed
1: her. I used to hate when she worked at that school as a, as a cleaner, I'll tell you.
0: that's so funny and so so when you left school what kind of grades were they at the time and then what did you then go on and do did you go to college or uni or what was your plan
1: yeah i left i left school i think i had five um gc well i think they weren't even gcse's at that time gce or something i had five five, i had five o levels that's what they used to call it then so i had five o levels when i left school um i went to i went to um sixth form and I was doing A levels and with the plan to go on to university but then I left before the end of it because I wanted to work I didn't really want to go to university didn't really appeal to me I, I wanted to work and I got a job um as work my first ever job I got was working in in the civil service for as as um when i say civil service it was a housing like, um what was it called again um dhss and i worked at a dhss office in uh, notting hill in london um sort of the sort of elaborate grove end of notting hill which is it was quite rough yeah but that was sort of like that was sort of like my first job and i worked as a clerical officer um so that that was sort of like my first job because i, I didn't want to i was like i want to work now i don't want to go to no university so um, my other brothers did actually go to university. I was the only one who didn't go.
0: Look at you now. So, so I mean, <laughs> I think that's the thing, isn't it? Because young kids, the, the people sort of, especially in the corporate world, make you think you have to go to uni and you have to do all this. And actually, de- as you've proven, depending on what you want to do and where your dream and heart is, then you don't, you don't really need to do that. So, so, so that yeah. sounds quite cool that you went down that route. And and I guess see when you started earning. Did it feel as if you were like a millionaire? Because obviously if you're living this working class life and you know, what was it like to sort of start getting money? You know, I remember in? I
1: got my first wage packet. I thought I was a millionaire, right? And then when I started to have to pay um, them times, I was still living at home with, no, actually, no, i moved out. I moved to, so I've moved back to London now. So I thought I'm a millionaire, but then once I started paying rent, <laughs> electric, gas and that, I quickly realized that I'm still where I am. It's still the same person. <laughs> you know? So, um, but yeah, I, I just, I did like the, it wasn't that I was desperate to move out or anything, but I just liked the independence of it all. And in those times I was sort of really getting into uh, music. I, I loved reggae music and my brother used to have like a, what they call a sound system and the sound system was growing and I always used to be around it. And I started like, uh, emceeing on the on the sound system like picking a mic up and emceeing and discovered that I had a bit of a talent for it and that started to really really take off as well and you know so so being sort of independent living on my own it means I meant I could do a lot of I work during the day and then in the evening times especially on the weekends i would be out you know with the sound system and then eventually going on to doing some performing and stuff like that so
0: Oh, that's so cool. So see when you say performing, what do you mean? Like, were you, was it like DJing <coughs> or was it, what, what, what so I was the, like um,
1: I it was like a reggae artist. So I used to, um, first of all, we used to do it like on sound system. So I'd like have the, I'd take the microphone and I'd um, do what they called MC. Yeah. And then, you know, I started to, you know, become more and more well-known in that sort of UK reggae um, industry. And then I started making um started making records and stuff like that. And I, I had one that went to number one in the uh in the UK reggae charts. So that was pretty cool. And then when I did that now, that tune sort of took off. I started like, you know, doing touring around first of all around the UK. And then I started doing stuff around Europe and you know i did some a uh, couple of bits in jamaica and that's when i that that actually is when i i first started travelling started like travelling around
0: that is so cool. So, so let's go back a minute, Rick. So You've just hit me with this. I'm like, really, number one. No, you I'm not a lot of
1: madness. I have.
0: <laughs> I'm going to go and look for this now. But so, so how did you get into that? So you're obviously, you know, you get the sound system. you do doing MC, and did you just like literally go and knock on doors and ask if you could come to do some stuff, or how did you actually? How did they open the door to you?
1: No, so what? What it is? And my brother, my brother and his friends, they had what they had what called a reggae sound system that they started. They just started a little small thing. And they just used to play up parties and things like that because in those days, um you used to have a lot used to have a lot of um sort of almost what they called like parties in houses and little halls and things like that and and people would come and with, especially with reggae, and they'd string up a sound system and you know you play music and you'd have MCs who'd like you know um MC over. The music and that and introduce it and everything and I just discovered that I had a bit of a talent for that. I really loved it I always used to listen to a lot and I discovered, discovered I had a talent for that and then as as my brother sound sister started to grow and grow and grow and I was like the main guy on it because I sort of started just from scratch emceeing I just started to sort of build up a reputation where people were saying oh you know what he's really good, this guy's good until eventually like a couple of uh, record labels, the UK reggae labels approached me and said, we want you to do a we want you to do a tune. And I did a tune called um, Proud to be Black. That was a tune at the time and it went to number one. It went to number one in the UK reggae charts. So that was a big, big moment for me and then I, it enabled me after, say this was over a period of about four years and then I left my job and started sort of concentrating on reggae and performing and that like full time. And I did it full time for a good few years.
0: That is pretty cool. That's really cool. Congratulations. <laughs> I had no idea. And yeah. so do you think as a child, do you think you would have had the confidence then or did you build the confidence to do that kind of stuff in later um,
1: life? I think I sort of built the confidence. I don't know, I was always quite a confident kid. Um, but I just didn't know I had that in me. It was just something I just discovered. Over a period of time, I, I just enjoyed it, and then you know, once I started realizing I was good at it, I was thinking, you know what, I think I could, you know, you hear other people, and I think I think I'm better than him. I reckon I could do, I reckon it could do something as good as that. You know, I mean, you, so your confidence starts to build, build and stuff like that, and then you're you're performing in front of people, so your confidence builds again. So you just, I, I think sometimes as well, you just realize you've got a talent for something that you didn't know before it's really it's a really weird to I don't know it's really weird how it happens but you just sometimes discover that unexpectedly you got a talent for something something, that, something that for other people something that for other people may be a bit difficult to do or whatever you find it quite easy and you realize that I oh, got quite a and if you if you then add hard work to that you know what I mean you can really Start to make something
0: with it. Yeah, as I say, it's a pretty cool talent to have, and and then you know I love the fact that you then chucked in the job because because you then found your passion, something that you really enjoyed, made you smile. You get out of bed for it, and you had tons of fun doing it. So you know I can imagine traveling around the world, like you know having not ever done that before. Did that feel alien to you?
1: No, it was cool. I mean, because now I started to realise I'm like I should have done this ages ago. You know. Because uh, you start to travel around, and then the good thing about it is that every, people are paying for it as well. So, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> so you know, so yeah, no, you, it was it was brilliant. It was a brilliant time. You know, what I mean, like I I, I remember like sometimes we do tours of like Europe, and you know, I wasn't I wasn't the main act, but I'd be like you know the second before the main. Although later on, I did do some main ones. And it was just so cool. You know what I mean? I, I, it really opened my eyes to life, to people, because you go into all these different places. Like, I remember the first time I went to, like, uh, Germany to do I was like, I said to the guy, I go, who in Germany is going to know anything about reggae? He goes, yeah, Robbie, he goes, reggae music's big in Germany. I go, serious? So said, yeah, man. He goes, they all know your music. And I, I go, you reckon? And then when I got over there and I saw the crowds, they were bigger than the stuff we were doing in England. And they knew all the words, and I was just like, "Wow, you know what I mean?" I mean, so it really starts to open your eyes, you know what I mean? You, 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 you know, it's something that I I've kept to this day. When I always say, you know, what I mean, I like to go and discover things for myself. I never try to to uh, stereotype people. I never try to sort of look at things and think they won't understand this or they won't get that because you just don't know. Yeah.
0: You know? God, and I think the thing is, as well, it's you know, a lot of people I've spoke to in this podcast series, a lot of it's about who you're hanging out with as well. So it's hanging mm. out with different, you know, and, and again, your kind of people, people that accept you for being who you are. Mm. And I think, you know, especially when you live in a working class area, to travel the world, especially, and hang out with people mm. of different cultures and attitudes and their really open mindedness. So I guess, you know, that that was probably that accelerated, I guess, your, your thinking and how you then oh, well, took on to life. Yeah.
1: 100%, and,
0: yeah. And do you, so once you have done all that, so like, <clears throat> I'm just picturing the scene, I can imagine, we can talk off camera, you can tell me how great it was, but I can imagine how, you know, it was a life of Riley, I guess. It was pro- probably pretty good fun. And so where did you go from there? Did you do that for quite a long time before you took your next step?
1: Yeah, I did that for quite a long time. And then I, I, I sort of transitioned from performing and everything to, I then I worked on the radio for a bit. I had my own sort of radio show, um, on It was on the local, it was BBC um, Bedfordshire. So I should to travel back and do that show. And I did that show for quite a while and that was successful. Um, but then after a while with music, it started to fizzle out. It started to, you know, music's a, you know, it's a real trend game that then something else starts to come along. And I started to realise that, um, you know, that's a bit in the decline now. And I'm like, I need to work. I need to start getting, because your money starts to get a little less and less. I'm like, I need to start working again. And um, so I started to, I went back sort of into working within housing. And then I remember I used to see all the surveyors who worked in the housing, who worked in the housing um, company I worked. They always used to come in, all dressed in suits and that, looking cool. And then when we were all in the office, stuck there working, they'd always sort of be in and out of the office, getting into their cars, gone, come back later on. But, okay, you know what? I'd like to do that job, man. You know what I mean? So the company, I remember the company I worked for at the time, they used to do this scheme where you could, um, if you'd worked there for a while, which at that time I worked there for about a good three years or so, and they really liked me and everything. They did this scheme where you could kind of retrain to do something else. So when it sort of came to my appraisal and then it was asking me, I said, oh, I'd like to retrain as a surveyor. So they said, well, that's completely different to what you're kind of doing now. So that's not part of the retraining structure for, for what you want to do. And I was going, like, yeah, but that's what I want to do. I want to, I think I could do that job. You know what I mean? The surveyors a lot of times come to me for help on certain things, problem solving and things like that. I go, I've spoken to some of them as well. I feel it's a job that I could do. And then they were saying to me, no, you're not going to be. And then I sort of called their bluff because I knew they liked me. And I said to them, right, well, if I can't do that training, then I'll probably look to leave. And then they then then about a week later came back to me and said, all right, you'll be able to do the training. So then I started studying. So I had to go to like um, study at uni, like a day release thing. It was tough, I'll tell you, like, because I hadn't studied for so long. I found that really tough. But then I started to, you know, I starting to be now training as a surveyor. Then there was an opening that came up for an assistant surveyor. I applied for that, and I got that job. Um, And then after about a year or so, even before I finished doing all my studying, they promoted me to a full surveyor. So then I started working as a surveyor for... um. For the housing association, yeah, you know, what I mean, and it's building survey. So I sort of retrained into that.
0: God, that's so different. Like, picture the scene: you're <laughs> gigging around the world, you're partying, and now you're a surveyor. I mean, not that surveyors don't party. I'm not saying that to all <laughs> surveyors watching. <laughs> but that must have been. I mean, that was quite And Was your mum and dad still alive at that point? Yeah, yeah, were they're young?
1: still alive, and they, they they were saying, "Yeah, well done for doing that." Because I think. They always, they always sort of like of the thing. Yeah, can't you just get a regular, normal job? But then even when I was doing the surveying, and I was still doing little things on the side, like I'd be doing things like promoting events, because I still had that music thing in me. So I'd, I sort of moved into a thing where I promote events, I promote shows, and promote little yeah. things at clubs and that, you know. Um, and yeah, then I was doing the surveying for a good few years probably about five years five six years or so but I always kind of had this sort of thing in me was like yeah this is a good job and that but I want to do more this is this I, I, I still want to have my own business and and I always sort of wanted to do something within football because football like football and music those two things are my loves supported Arsenal all my life I was like and then I had a friend who was doing, who me and him used to go to way back when we used to go to Highbury. And he'd started um, he'd started a, a company called, uh, well, he started a football channel called IFL TV, which is like a boxing channel. And one week he said to me, he goes, oh, Robbie, he goes, my camera guy can't turn up. So can you come with me to this boxing fight? Because what he used to do, he'd go to boxing fight and he'd interview fighters, and promoters and stuff like that and post it on his YouTube channel. So he goes, can you come with me and hold the camera? So I said, I don't know nothing about cameras. He goes, you don't have to. He goes, I'll focus it on that. All you got to do is just hold it straight. I said, all right. So I went with him and we went to a show. I remember it was up in Liverpool and I saw him in action, saw what he was doing and everything. I was like, do you know what? This this could work for football. So I remember I said to him, I go, do you, you ever thought of doing something like this? Um, for football. So he said, yeah, but Robbie, you'd never be able to get the players. You know, you haven't got the rights to football and stuff like that. It's just so much of a minefield. And I said, yeah, but what about forget the players? What if we interview fans? Because like, I've always had this thing in my head that nobody ever asks the fans their opinion. You know what I mean? We always hear from all the pundits. We hear from all the ex-players, so-called experts. And sometimes some of them haven't even been to games. Yeah, they used to play for Arsenal. Yeah, they used to play for this team or that team. But that was their job. They're not invested in it as deep as fans. So I was going, what about the fans? He's going, ah, oh, I don't think that would work. And he, he didn't really... Plus, as well, he was really busy doing what he was doing because he was doing quite well with this thing. So I just decided that, you know what? I'm going to develop out this idea, which I kind of did. I went back to him again, asked him if he'd be interested. He said no, which, again, I was a bit crestfallen because I never have a clue how to film or edit or anything like that. And in the end, I just decided I'm just going to do it on my own. So I just said, I'm going to try it. And then I reached out to a friend of mine who, when I was doing my promotions and stuff like that, this guy used to design flyers for me and build websites and things like that. And I said to him, could you build a website for me for this idea that I've got? Because I want to start doing this thing called Arsenal Fan TV where I interview fans and stuff like that. And then he came back to me about a day later and he goes, Robbie, that idea you've got, that's a good little idea, you know. He goes on YouTube, he goes, um, he goes, I know how to do sort of filming and I know how to do editing because I sometimes work part-time at a film studio that does adverts, right? So I said, yeah. So he said, yeah, I wouldn't mind joining up with you to do this idea. So I said, yeah. So then I joined up with him and then we decided we were going to do that first game. We went um and did. We filmed the game. It was Arsenal versus Tottenham. We put the videos out and, you know, they weren't brilliant, the quality and all that, because we had to borrow all the equipment. We borrowed a mic and a camera and everything from the film studio that he worked at. And but when people when it came out and people saw it, they liked it. they were like, hey, "This is pretty cool," you know. What I mean, and people started sharing it. And I remember like with our first videos we did, we were getting like thirty views, forty, hundreds. We high fiving <laughs> each other. We go, "Hey, this is all right." <laughs> and then at first, I was just going to do all the, the home games for Arsenal, but then the first week went well, so I said, "Let's see what let's see what an away." what an away game is going to be like. So the next week we went and did an away game, um, playing at Aston Villa. And that one went even better because people were saying, oh, we never knew what it was like. Because it's almost like we were giving people an insight into fans, how they travel to games, yeah. how they watch it, how they feel. So people really, really enjoyed that. And then after that, I said, you know what? we're going to do every single game from now on, home and away. And I remember my friend who was, he was, you know doing the camera and that like he worked full-time as well he's like robbie how are we going to do this first of all we both work full-time secondly where are we going to get the money from to do because it's it's quite a lot of money tickets travel i said you know what i don't know how we're going to do it but we're doing it and then we just from that day that was in 2012 i started it and continued it ever since from that day where it was just two of us. And I'll say for about the first first three years of this, first three to four years, it was still just two of us, just going to games, speaking to fans, uploading. I mean, remember, we're still working. So sometimes, like, you could have a game like Man United away, Burnley away, these far places. We'd go there, especially when they had the midweek games. You know, the game finishes, you know, so like eight o'clock kickoff, game finishes, by the time we've done all the videos, it's like midnight. Then we've got to go sit in the car, edit them, try and get them up. I mean, we get home like five, six in the morning, have to wake up like an hour later and go to work. So, <laughs> wow. And we were doing that. We were doing that for, we were doing that for about initially for about the first three and a half, four years until I was like, you know what? I'm going to have to give up my job and concentrate fully on this because I think it can really go somewhere because it was building in popularity. You know, I mean we were we were doing a lot of um we, we were getting a lot of viral videos and a lot of people started talking about what we're doing. It was you could see it growing subscribers are growing you know we're getting starting to get millions of views and stuff like that. And I was just like if I don't leave my job now because a lot of people always talk about that when did you know when to leave your job? Because remember I'm working as a surveyor it's a good job. I've got kids as well. I've got a mortgage to pay. So you're thinking, yeah, I've got to keep that secure. But then you also say to yourself, But if I don't go for this, I may not know what the full potential of this is going to be. And I'm not going to be able to give it all of my, all of my, you know, dedication. So yeah, eventually I left and went into it full time. But before that, when I was working, I think the good thing about it is that I was working as a surveyor. So as I said earlier, you're kind of in and out of the office a lot. Because I, I was a building surveyor, so you had to go around to a lot of properties and see. But a lot of times, when I was going around to properties, I'd have my stuff in the car. So I'd have like a football shirt in the car and stuff like that. So if there was breaking news around Arsenal, for instance, I'd pull over. I'd take my suit off, put my Arsenal top on. I would add a little tripod. I could set my phone up on it. And then I'd record a little video. Yeah, also oh, just done this, blah, blah, blah. Right. Send it over to my other friend who'd upload it and then put my suit back on and go back to work.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's called <cool> being smart.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we had to work very smart in that time. You know I mean? And what I had to do, a lot of times I had to work some at work, I'd have to work some late nights because I, I was a person I always had in the surveyor work. I didn't want them to think that I'm taking a mix. So, I didn't want them to feel that. For, for starters, I never, they always used to be, they started to see me in videos and stuff like that. And they're like, Robbie, we saw you in a video. Was that you? And I'd be like, oh, yeah, yeah, that was me. they go, yeah, they go, so what's, what's this then? And I'd say to them, no, it's not my thing. It's just a friend of mine who's doing, a, he's doing this Arsenal thing. And you know, I've been going Arsenal for years. I'll just help him out. So they didn't know it was my thing. But to try and cover my tracks all the time, I'd have to work some late hours sometimes because because I'd be out doing a lot of my stuff sometimes, I then had to catch up all the so I'd be work late till six, seven o'clock sometimes. They'd be like, Oh Robbie, man, you you really dedicated. <laughs> they didn't know I was catching up just to make sure that I got everything out. <laughs> so yeah, it was it was it was that those were the the, the especially those early times were really tough. Like it was good it was good you know what i mean it was still enjoyable because the, again when doing the football stuff it was so it didn't even feel like work because even now to this day it don't feel like work because it's a passion you're following your passion you know
0: yeah do you ever think i, I can imagine you know given that your brothers and, and your dads and you know, you were all into football you know although you were bugging your mum with the football chat but you know, do you ever look back and th- think about your dad's now that you're doing this? Does it sort of almost feel like you're doing it for him in a way?
1: Yeah, I do. You know what? As I said, you know, all of our, all of my arguing and football opinions and all that comes come from our discussions that we just used to have as a family around. Well, when I say discussions, our arguments we used to have around football, our back and forth. So that all comes from my dad and his passion. So he was alive for some of the period when I was doing this and he used to see some of the stuff. So he knew it was doing really well. And, um, you know, he, he, he really, really, really appreciated that. You know what I mean? So, and yeah, it all comes down to, it all comes down to like that tenacity from, I, I go way back to, as I said, when they first come to this country and their bravery. And I try to take that on myself and say, right, I'm gonna be try to be brave in the things I do as well. If I see something that I feel, I, I I try to I try to have I try to do things without fear. That's kind of my motto. I try to do things without fear. I'm like, I will give something a try. Yeah. You know, business wise, anyway. <laughs> you know, so-, so you know, but you've got to try and move without fear. You do be if you if you're if you're scared to try new things, you're not gonna get very far.
0: Yeah. And I guess it's, you know, it's the whole point, isn't it? It's one life. And as you said, if you didn't switch, you would probably to this day thinking, I wonder if, I wonder if it would have been something or, but now you can go back and, you know, because if it didn't work out, then you were a qualified surveyor. You could always
1: yeah, do that. You had
0: something to go back on.
1: That's exactly what I felt. I said to myself, when I, when I made that step, I said, you know what, even if, if it don't work out, I'm qualified, I can get a job or doing temporary. I'll be all right. So I, I knew I had that buffer.
0: That's so cool. And so say for, for you now, you know, when you, you look at all of that, did, what do you think is instilled in you and your kind of working class background? So obviously bravery is is your number one, you know, what you were saying, but what other kind of things do you think you carry still to this day?
1: Well, I think hard work, you know, hard work and consistency. Those two things, I think if you don't have those, you know, well, certainly I don't think I, w- I could have achieved what I've achieved without that because, you know, I always say, um, I, ain't, I always look at it and say I ain't going to make nobody outwork me, right? So, you know, I may not, like, even even to this day, I come up, you know, with in growing my business, and I employ 22 people now, and, you know, it's a big company. I've got two studios, offices, you know. But still, I'm, a, you know, in comparison to some of the companies I come up against, we're small. You know what I mean? Because you're making football content, so are BBC, so are Sky, TalkSport, these big organizations. I can't compete with them with money, but what I do have is I have great ideas. We're nimble, we can move quick and we work hard. And we, We can, your hard work sometimes can negate all that money. You know what I mean? And your ideas, and the fact that you've got all this new technology now, like you know, that we can put our content onto these huge platforms like YouTube, where it goes worldwide. So, but you've got to be you've got to be prepared to work really hard, and you've got to um, you've also got to have that level of consistency.
0: What an amazing story! And before we wrap up, I've got to ask you one question: Who's your favorite player?
1: My favorite what favorite current player or favorite player
0: Oh now you're opening up a can of worms okay let's do <laughs> let's do previous and let's do no.
1: Previously, Thierry Henry, my favorite player of all time. I've had the pleasure to meet him and since I've been doing this and really great guy as well, but wonderful, wonderful footballer. I'd say currently Saka who plays for us or Bakaya Saka, youngster. You know, saw him when he first came into the team. Brilliant, brilliant player. Got a great attitude, great temperament. And it's just a great, great player. And um, I think in the future, he's going to be one of the best players this country's produced. You know, he's really, really good.
0: Well, well, you heard it here first. So thank you so much. It's just such a lovely story. As I said, you know, at the beginning, I'm sure your parents would be super, super proud. And um, yeah, thank you for sharing it today.
1: No, thank you very much for having me.
0: Thank you.